thankfully Moses reminded the Israelites uh, and us that in the end, the battle is not ours, but God's. And what we need to do in these situations is fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. This morning we will see that deliverance firsthand in our message titled, Dry Ground. Dry Ground. And she will survive. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to come to your house. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet fellowship we've experienced already. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the good work that you're doing, Lord, not only in Africa, but in the hearts of Americans, Lord, here with the land of abundance, that we might do greater works in other places, God. We thank you for the message you've given us. Pray, God, that you know I've prayed, uh, Lord, even as I was writing it on the plane. Uh, Lord, I know that you've spoken to me, and I'd ask, God, that you would now speak through me. Father, the words that I share, but not the ones I choose, but the very ones that you would choose to place up on my tongue in Jesus his name. Amen. All right. We are going to start off a little bit of reminder. Romans 9, 17, the Bible says this, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, God says, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. God is saying that he, what he's done in Egypt and what he's doing is setting an example for the world to see his power. Now where we're going to pick up the story is literally where Moses is standing with the Israelites. They're standing at the edge of the Red Sea. They're facing the waters. He's just told them to stand still. He tells them the fight is not not ours, and that their job is to hold their peace. Exodus 14, verse number 15, where we'll pick back up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou to me? Uh, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. He says, Why are you afraid? Have you not seen what I've done? Have you not realized the fact that I've already done great deliverances? Instead of looking for a way of escape, what God's actually telling them is he wants them to push up even closer to the water's edge. Uh, the things that so many times we fear and we recoil from, those things, the reason why we recoil is because we don't trust God. He's not in the business of destroying faith. God is in the business of building faith, right? He always has a purpose for what he asks of us. This process isn't complete, doesn't come uh, to fruition because of a miraculous instance or a miraculous change of heart. It's because God calls us to do things, and he puts us many times through tribulation to help us understand how to trust him. Romans 5, verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this is where it gets tough. Verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, meaning I celebrate hard times. God's telling me that I'm supposed to see a hard time coming. I'm supposed to go, yes! I'm going to glory in tribulation. Also, knowing that tribulation, and notice the verb here, worketh. Tribulation is the key, and tribulation worketh patience. And then it says after that, and patience experience and experience hope. So what it tells us is the verb of working is the tribulation is what's being used to actually change our hearts and help us understand what hope truly is. So we stated before, God always does everything for a purpose. And what we need to realize is the fact that when things happen, as opposed to cursing the fact that we're going through a tough time, it's a matter of learning how to see it from a different perspective. Our good, good Father doesn't put us in challenging situations to hurt or destroy us, but that our faith might be strengthened as we see His plan for us revealed in His strong hand guiding us through it. The Lord wants them to get closer to the sea so that they can have a better view, an opportunity to see up close and personal what it is God's getting ready to do. So instead of taking their eyes off of the obstacle in their way, God wants to change their perspective of that obstacle. 
And that's a thing that all of us, that's a tough thing to do. What was interesting is when we, when we preached in Africa, one of the con conferences we trained at, there was six of us that were preaching, and all of us wrote our messages completely unconnected. We weren't given subject matter. They said, look, write what God gives you to write. And mine was called Embracing Adversity, and it was on Romans 5. And what was amazing was all these men from different parts of the country, when we came together, guess what we all preached on? Adversity. Completely unrelated, and when I just don't understand, there was something going on that they were going to face, and we were God was was prompting us to help them and challenge them. But it's also true of us. We have to learn how to change our perspective on adversity. God is literally telling us to embrace adversity through this verse and telling them the same thing. Verse sixteen. But but lift thou up by thy, thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So the power and authority that God is working here, God's saying, look, I'm the one that's doing it. I'm using a mortal. I'm using a human vessel. But bottom line is, reason being, the reason why he's doing that is to give them a representative. The Israelites need somebody they can look to that they can follow and that they can respect. And God's using Moses specifically. Notice also that he doesn't just use the human form of Moses. Moses doesn't hold his hand out over it. The Bible says he tells him to take the rod, right? Put that rod out there. Reason being, God uses. Now, back in uh, Exodus 4.20, Exodus 17.9, and in Job 21.9, that same rod is referred to as the rod of God a symbol of power. Next we see that he talks about the fact they're going to walk on dry ground. So the sea bottom is literally going to be dry, meaning it's not wet, it's not damp, it's not even got mist on it. It says dry ground. That means when you're walking on it, dust is coming up. It's dusty and dry. This is underwater moments before, and it's going to be dusty, dry ground. Verse 17. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Okay? Now he says they're talking about changing, about hardening his heart. We've talked about this before. God is not forcibly changing his heart to be hardened. What he's doing is he's choosing not to soften their hearts. He's allowing them to keep the same mindset that they had. So God will allow the Egyptians to be consumed of their own lusts. And there's a verse I want you to look at. We're going to pay close attention to this in 1 Timothy 6.9. But they that will be rich, when it talks about rich, what that word is basically saying there is those that are driven by their lusts for gain. Okay, Those that are driven by their lusts for gain. It's just they shall fall into temptation and a snare. Okay, Remember, we talked about Pahahirath. It was basically a trap, right? So this talks about here falling into a snare, a place of no escape, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which, notice the word, drown men in destruction and perdition. Drown men in destruction and perdition. It will be their fleshly desires and their denial of God's authority that will be their destruction. Okay, now there's a picture here at the same time of the lost world. Okay, there are people that do not deny God's existence and fight against Him. In Romans verses uh, chapter one verses twenty eight through thirty two, it says this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, notice this, he's allowing this to continue, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. This is talking about people of the world. So we see an Old Testament reference of the Egyptians pointing to a New Testament reference we're looking at here, talking about the world. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despitefully proud, boasters and vendors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
Not only do we see our world embracing sin like never before, not only do you see things that are completely turned upside down, what used to be good is now bad, and what is bad is now good. We see this, and it's so prevalent and so easy to see. Not only are people partaking in it, but it says here that they will celebrate it. And we see people celebrating sin even as we speak on so many different levels. There is coming a day when all those that follow their lusts and refuse to receive the Lord's invitation through faith will stand before Him. Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15 says this, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Okay. Notice here that the Bible talks about the fact that the books will be opened. We're getting ready to see something get opened, aren't we? The sea is going to be open, okay? So there's a parallel that's taking place. And as we look back here in these Exodus verses and we're looking at what's taking place, we also see a, a parallel taking place for the future in our world as well. So we see the results here. And there will be a deliverance, right? In this, when these books are open, we're going to see that there'll be a judgment. They're also going to see the exact same thing through the, through the parting of the waters. There will be some that will face deliverance through those partings. And there will be others that will face destruction and judgment through those waters. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their work. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is a spiritual death or a separation from God. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. As a born-again believer, if you have received Christ as your Savior, it talks about those that are not found in the book. That book of life is anyone who has received Christ. Your name is written in the book. That is where it has been recorded. Revelations 21 verse 27 says this, And there will be, and there will in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? So that book of life, as born-again believers, your name is written in that book. Jesus is recorded by many names, but one of the most notable names is the Lamb of God. John 1.29 says this, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. So there are books that will be opened. There will be books that will record those of all people that have ever been born, and it's going to record their works and the fact that they did not receive Christ as their Savior. And there will be those of us that receive Christ as our Savior. There will be the individual book, the Lamb's book of life, and those that are found in that book, they will be spared. Verse 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. So not one of the Egyptians is going to escape. There is no escape from this judgment. Doctrinally, as we look at this picture of the great white throne judgment, not only do, will every person who has ever lived stand accountable to God, but no one will escape the final judgment. All of us, lost or saved, one day we're going to recognize God's authority and His sovereignty, right? Amen. Now, some, it will be at the judgment seat, and there will be others will be at the great white throne. Some will have reverence for God and they'll kneel out of love for Him and others are going to kneel out of fear. Right? Two different instances. Romans 14, 11 says this, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 19, And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them and the pillar of the cloud went, before, went from before their face and stood behind them. Okay, so do we remember, back we talked about what a cloud represents in the Bible. The cloud represents the presence 
of God, okay? So we see this idea, understanding what the presence of God is. Now, when we think back, this verse tells us a little something we didn't know otherwise. Whenever the Egyptian, or when the, when the Israelites freak out and they're like, look, you know what, Moses, why didn't you just leave us there? We told you we wanted to stay back in verses 11 and 12. They were doing that. They were denying God. They were standing against and actually lying in the presence of the Lord. This cloud was there, literally, as they lost their faith and what happens is, bottom line, is so many of us deal with the same thing. God forbid that, should, that same thing should be said of us. With God's presence in our lives, we live in our fears, we react in our emotions, and we discredit what God can do. So many times there are instances in our lives when we fall into our emotions. We talk about it all the time because guess what? These guys are a picture of us. Now, this may seem ridiculous. We think about, you know, here's God right here. He's right before us. How in the world could you deny him? Think about this. How many of us have ever been given another day of life, seen the wonders of God in our surroundings, and enjoyed his provision only to immediately fall into fear when we face a trial? The Israelites are us. They are us. When you see the things that take place in their lives, and we go, oh, that's ridiculous. How could they do that? It is a picture of us. Because all of us struggle with the same issues. Fear takes hold. Situations, circumstances overwhelm us. This whole story, even though it is a historical account, at the same time is a picture of the entire human existence. Salvation all the way to judgment. We're going to see that through the Exodus. Will we learn from their example or will we continue to repeat it? Time will tell. Verse 20. And it, talking about the cloud, came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of the Israels, a camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them. When it says them, it's talking about the Egyptians. So to them it was a cloud of darkness. But it gave light by night to these, the Israelites, so that the, the one came not near the other all the night. How interesting that the Egyptians see the exact same thing. They see darkness and they are afraid of it. While at the exact same time, the Israelites see it and they see a light. They see something that's there to work for them. It's remarkable, right? To the Egyptians. And it's, so the, the, uh, what we see here is the same presence can be seen in two different ways. Okay? So God's presence can be seen as a positive or can be seen as a negative. The Egyptians, because they're not of God, saw the, saw the cloud as something scary. The lost world has a skewed image of God because guess what? They do not know him. They see the exact same thing you and I see, and they do not see the God of love. They see a God of judgment, a God of hate, a God of anger. They see a distortion through religion and all the things that man has done over time, and they see a lie. Bottom line is God is exactly the same. The problem is the skewed view of the person that's seeing them. While at the same time, the Israelites, in spite of their spiritual weakness, can receive guidance and comfort from the exact same cloud. He stands between the two and he works as a guardian for the Israelites because they're getting ready to walk across. Remember what Moses told them back in verse 14. The Lord, the Lord shall fight for you. He shall hold your peace, he said. Now, and Moses, verse number 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry and the waters were divided. Now, do you guys remember... Okay, remember this. Okay, first of all, we're looking at a picture of the great white throne judgment that's being revealed here. We see the parting of the waters. Do you remember back in, we had a, seven messages ago, we did a message called the winds of change. And there was an east wind that blew in that thing. Do you remember what east wind represented? Judgment. Not coincidence. The east wind is what separates the waters. And it's an east wind of judgment. Okay? Not a coincidence. It says that this, uh, this took place in the night, and it's not a coincidence. And guess what? You and I, we're in the midst of a spiritual night. When Jesus left the earth, what did Jesus say in John 9, 5? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In the ascension, guess what? A night came upon the world. So these Egyptians, these Israelites are in a night 
The east wind of judgment comes in and it's going to separate the waters and they're going to cross. So the children of Israel are a picture of believers. Amidst a spiritual night, they enter the sea. They pass through the waters of judgment, which, are, which remember 1 Timothy, that verse 6-9, said, said they were drowned by destruction and perdition. They are protected from the judgment by God. They walk on dry ground. Dry, dry, that's hard to say. Dry ground. Uh, they walk on dry ground. <laughs> I'm a little tired. Being completely isolated from every every single drop of judgment. They are protected because they are the children of God. Amen. How cool is that? Amen. Verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And absolute arrogance. Look at this. They're going to rush in there for something that was provided for God's children, right? They look at this. They go, you know what? We're going to use this for our own purposes. We're going to take this. This land that's here is going to be our way of getting what we want. Hmm. Consider all those that use God's amazing creation for their own selfish purposes while they simultaneously choose to reject the very one that created them. This will work for them for a period of time, but guess what? That time will run out. Verse 24. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked on the hosts of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the hosts of the Egyptians. Their time is running out. Verse 25. And took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. So their plan is going great until the wheels come off the bus or the chariot, right? Everything's going smooth as silk, and all of a sudden, huh. And they have this awful realization that the God of heaven, the one that they faced in Egypt, is fighting for them again. And they have a moment of faith, but guess what? It's a little bit too late. Just like those that will stand before God on that day of judgment, and in that moment have full faith that God is exactly who he said that he was, it's going to be too late. Verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. There will come a time when God will close the book, and the judgment will commence. Verse 27, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. That spiritual night is going to come to an end with the dawning of the S-O-N. Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15 said, Death and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is that this is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't know if you guys have ever been places where you've seen some big bodies of water. You ever seen the Great Salt Lake in Utah? Guess what it looks like? A sea. Lake Malawi in Malawi, it's gigantic. When you look at it, it looks like you're looking at the sea. When you stand and you look at Lake Michigan, it looks like the sea. So bottom line, as we look at this, isn't it interesting? They're placed into a sea, and there will be a lake of fire that they will be cast into at that time of judgment. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea. After them, there remained not so much as one of them. There were absolutely no exceptions when it came to the Egyptians. They were all destroyed. And guess what? There will be no exceptions of those that did not receive the gift of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, when they stand before Almighty God. The judgment of this world is coming. And I'm telling you, when we stood in the airport in Ethiopia, in this place called Addis Ababa, and we're standing waiting, and I'm just watching the news on the, on the, on the TV that's in the background. We couldn't hear anything. But I'm just watching what's taking place. 
and I can see the headlines of the stories. And this is the BBC World News. What's going on around the planet? And it's just sinful, destructive, just horrible. And you look at those things and you go, God, you know what? These, these, these times are going to get, they're going to wax worse and worse and worse. And we look at our society today, praise God for those of us that are trying to do right. But man, the majority of this world is not trying to do right. And God is going to judge this planet. And when he does, it's not going to be a good day. For some of us, praise God, we're going to be in the presence of our Father. We're going to be in the presence of God, and it's going to be a glorious time. But the majority of the world, unfortunately, the Bible says that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. A majority of people are not going to experience this the way we would hope that they would. Verse 29 says, But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. God reiterates the beautiful and prophetic deliverance that he performed for his people to emphasize its significance for all of humanity. Verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Notice, remember we talked about what the word, that phrase, that day stands for? That's the second coming. So all of this that we're reading, talking about that judgment, here we reiterate that, that little marker that we saw in, the, in a word strong, that day. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So as the people of Egypt at one point in time, back when Moses was supposed to be cast into the water and die into the Nile River, under the age of two, right? Those young children, those young men were supposed to be thrown into the water. Those Egyptians would have celebrated the bodies of the Israelites washing up on the shores of the Nile. Check this out. Now, the Israelites stand in celebration as the children of Egypt wash up on the shores of the Red Sea. It says they said, dead upon the seashore. God is a God of justice. Micah 5.15 says this, And I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. Romans 12.19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Hebrews 10.30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord again. Again, the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The Israelites saw up close and personal how the Lord judged their enemies and did the miraculous to reveal his absolute power over man and nature. The fear of the Lord that we see here is a reverence for God. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs 14.26, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. <coughs> it is a strong confidence in God that allows us to walk by faith in the most desperate times of life. Remember that as children of God, we live in victory through our Savior. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 54 through 57 says this, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And Eleanor is experiencing that as we speak. As we speak. O death, where is thy sting? The sting is not upon the one that is gone, the one that's in the presence of God. The sting hurts upon us, those that we're going to miss. O grave, where is thy victory? 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We may not be victorious necessarily always on the earth, but I can guarantee you, if you are a child of God, you will be victorious one day, and you will stand in victory with your King. And you know what? He knows your plight. He knows what you're going through. And He's walking with you every step of the way. But until our eternal victory, we can live this life in the same victory. You see, as we learn to trust in His power over our circumstances and not our own, our faith is fortified. So as we face the wind and waves of life and see our potential destruction ahead, it will be our confidence in God and our willingness to step out on faith that will allow us to face the seas of trouble prepared to walk upon dry ground. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today, and I thank you for the opportunity, God, to bring your word. Thank you for the incredible prophetic message given to us in the book of Exodus, how we get to see the walk of humanity, literally, through the travels of the Israelites. Thank you, God, for the deliverance that you reveal to them, and Lord, also what you point to us as well, God, that we must have faith, not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but Lord, in the God of the universe. And Lord, you are with us through everything we face. And God, thank you so much that no matter whether it be in Stallings, North Carolina, or if it be me in Malawi, Africa, God, you are at work. And Lord, you love people. And God, you are doing all that you can to reach them. And I'm so thankful, God, that we serve a, a God that, Lord, has such a love for his creation. And God, for all of those, even today, that stand in opposition to you, Lord, that curse your name, God, you love them. And Lord, it's up to us to reach out to them. And Lord, as this world comes against us, Father, help us to claim the victory that we have in you. And Lord, when the waters are, when the waters are before us, help us as children of God to realize that when judgment comes, we will walk upon that dry ground. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Ask God that now you'll help us, Lord, to be more like you than we ever have before. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I have fear of death. I can, I can understand completely what you're talking about. I grew up in a non-Christian home. I grew up with no God in our home, and I grew up wondering if I died, what would happen to me? And I didn't go to bed with a great confidence. I went to bed with fear and with doubt. And it wasn't until I was 34 years old that someone shared with me the truth to where I could sleep for the very first time without that fear in the back of my heart, knowing that I was a child of God. If you do not know today, if you say, you know what, I'm pretty sure, but I'm not sure, you have an opportunity to be absolutely certain. You have an opportunity to just literally be able to go to bed with a peace knowing that you are a child of the King. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. He paid the price, all the price that you would pay in that judgment. Jesus Christ bore it on the cross. He's done it for the world. But it's a gift, the Bible says. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Knowing that there's a gift does not save you. Believing in the gift does not save you. Knowing all about the gift does not save you. Praying to the gift does not save you. Receiving the gift saves you. God gave us free will for a purpose that we get to choose. I choose right or I choose wrong. I choose Jesus or I choose the world. When he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That patience that God had with us, the long suffering of God, looking at us in our broken condition, loving us in spite of it. You have an opportunity today, no matter where you are. If you're online, you're watching this recording. I don't care. God's working everywhere. And he's willing to save us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where our heart may have been. God is willing, if we're willing to humble ourselves before him, to receive us 
and to save us. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But more importantly, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If in our heart of hearts we truly want to receive Christ, it's not a ceremony, it's not a magic prayer, it's a matter of the heart. If we will call out to Him, broken before a God that has the power to save us, and we'll trust that He can, guess what He'll do? He'll save us. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. This is not the prayer. The words will do nothing for you. If you do not intend to receive Christ, don't pray them because you're wasting your time. But if you pray them and you truly want God to save you and you believe that He is who He says that He is and He has the power to do it, He will save you and it's an eternal salvation that can never be taken away. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat out of me, repeat after me in your heart and your mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so very sorry. You died for me and you paid the price for the sins of my life. And I thank you. I'm asking you to, to apply your love and your blood to my sin debt. God, for you to cleanse my heart and to save me. I know that you are the God of the universe, that you died on the cross, and you rose on the third day to prove that you are God. Lord, I'm trusting you for my salvation. I'm asking you with my whole heart. I will see you in heaven one day. Thank you for saving me.